This dude who looks like he's running his fifth game in a row at Lifetime Fitness. Frankly, I have absolutely no idea who Grand Canyon's best player is, nor am I going to look it up. That guy obviously saying something he's never done before. I got no idea what I'm doing right now. Oh yes, a tradition unlike any other. Mike returns from Florida with far fewer golf balls than when he arrived. What's happening, everybody? Open mic, uh, Masters edition, and Final Four recap edition. The greatest kind of like two-week stretch in sports. I, I really firmly believe that, that these two weeks, when you get the culmination of the NCAA tournament and then the Masters right after, that is as good as it gets. You know what wasn't as good as it gets was one shining moment. Was anyone else just grossly disappointed with it? I felt, you know, robbed of crying kids and like banned people who are also crying kind of how the national championship felt like as well just a game that was robbed of any kind of competitiveness thanks to the Baylor Bears and my god has a team ever earned it more than Baylor did throughout this tournament you know just taking everybody's shot and punching right back and you know the national title game Ah, we'll get to that in a second. First, they just dominate Houston. You know, they make people who hate Houston feel bad for how Houston was looking. I don't, I won't name any names in that regard. But then we get maybe the best NCAA tournament game that I've ever seen. All things considered, the stakes, the shot. Gonzaga, UCLA. It was UCLA, not supposed to be there. I saw the video of Bill Walton after the game. And if Bill Walton is not upset at what was going on with UCLA at the end of that game, then no one should be upset with what UCLA did. Because how could you? What an effort. What a shot. You know, I was watching it in uh, in Florida with my, you know, my dad fell asleep, actually, in the second half of that game, believe it or not. Probably the only human on earth who could pull that off. Uh, so I'm watching it with my wife, uh, my best friend, and my mom, and it's whatever time it was, because God knows the tip was late, and the game was long, and overtime, and yada, yada, yada. We all four jumped up and screamed right away, and I I, I mean, I, I if you had a different reaction, please tell me what it was, because I don't know if there is a, another reaction for Jalen Suggs' heroics. First and foremost, you know, Juzang lays it up with three seconds. So you're thinking, all right, double OT. Not like you had any betting interest in Gonzaga and you're angry. And then Suggs comes down and does that. I mean, what a way to go. I I saw something on Twitter and I use that. That should be in the intro. I saw something on Twitter. I say that a lot um, about, you know, the decisions that high school kids faced in terms of going to the G League and going to the you know, NCAA, and I think Suggs showed what can happen when you do go the college route. Now, granted, not every freshman is going to get the opportunity to play in the Final Four. Most of them are not going to get the opportunity to play in the Final Four, but the great ones that go to the great programs or the great ones that go to the, you know, the upper echelon programs and elevate them to another level because, you know, Gonzaga is a is an upper echelon program that's never won anything 
other than a bunch of conference titles, which deserves to be lauded, and a bunch of regionals. Not even a bunch of regionals. A couple of regionals. They've won a lot of first and second round NCAA tournament games, and other than that, they haven't won very much. And obviously, they were so much more than Suggs. Timmy was great. Uh, Kispert was pretty good. I'm going to mispronounce. I, I kept wanting to call him Jay Ajayi, but Ayayi was dynamite in the Final Four. So I think Suggs showed what can happen when a kid comes in and wants to be in college and wants to win as opposed to just my goal is to get to the NBA. And I think that his, he's, I don't know, if he's announced already, maybe he has and I missed it, like I said, losing lots of golf balls last couple of days. Um, but he's probably going pro. And he is going to be a lottery pick. And he's going to be a really good NBA player. Just like some of the guys from the G League are. But some of the guys from the G League do not now get to be in the same sentence as Christian Leitner. And for that, I think Jalen Suggs is probably pretty happy that he went to Gonzaga. But we're spending far too much time talking about Jalen Suggs because it's about Baylor. And it's about what it seems like every NCAA tournament seems to find its way back to how good is your guard play. And Scott Drew's backcourt, I mean, they're playing three, four guards. They Macy Oteague in the national semis did he do anything nothing and you know they blow houston out because mitchell and butler are the best players on the floor when they're on the floor no matter who else is on the floor i said watching mitchell you know i'm trying to come up with a a pro comparison for him and you know you want to you see 45 in mitchell and you see donovan mitchell and i i respect that uh it's hard to just not make the correlation seeing as they have the same last name and the same number but he's he's obviously much more of a true point guard than that. And I thought his you know his his uh, national semifinal game with all the assists was he he looked like Chris Paul to me. We never got to see Chris Paul in the final four or anything like that. He was only at Wake for a minute and a half, actually maybe two minutes. Um, but I you know I think Mitchell's going to be a a big time NBA player. I think that again. Uh, you talk about doing it the right way, provided that, you know, in five years we don't read about a bunch of backroom deals that no one knew about at the time. But Scott Drew taking over a program, building it in his image, and now winning the national championship and elevating Baylor to a status that it has never known and making it now a place where I can't see him. You know, Scott Drew might never leave Baylor ever. Why would he now? Now that he knows he can win a national championship, that now when you're listening to this, he's probably already gone to the NBA or something. Who knows? But Baylor was just so impressive. You wanted Gonzaga to get back into it because it was, you know, what you were doing on Monday night. You were planning your whole night around it, and you wanted to see a good game, and it just never got there because Baylor just. You know, I, I, I'm going to butcher the percentage because I don't have it up in front of me, but they were like, what were they, 41% from three as a team for the whole season? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yes, stupidest is not a word, although maybe they've changed that since American English standards have gone down. All right, well, that's, that's a whole nother conversation, as we say. But, you know, Baylor was just dominant from the tip till the to the – Excess of confetti that could have sank the Titanic uh, that flowed from the roof of Lucas Oil Stadium, the non-RCA Dome. And 
they earned it. I mean, what a season. I, I think that it's pretty easy now to say that, you know, the Big 12 was, if not the best conference in the country, then they were 1A. And how can you not say that when their champion, who dominated their league for the most part, then wins it all? So that's what, you know, those of us who live and love Big Ten basketball hope one day the Big Ten remembers how to win a national title. But now we're going to have 22 years when the next Big Ten team gets to the Final Four. 22 years will be the uh, earliest a Big Ten team can go to break the streak since Michigan State won it all with Mateen Cleaves back in 2000, which then wraps up the NCAA tournament with one shining moment. What better segue than with Mateen Cleaves? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because the game was such a uneventful, non-climactic thing that one shining moment just wasn't going to have the uh, same pizzazz that it normally does. But I don't know. I felt underwhelmed. That said, great tournament. So glad to have it back. You just... I'll never take it for granted again. I imagine you won't either. But not having it last year and having it this year and just having those weeks where you're just trying to get to Thursday or Friday, or in this case, Saturday and Sunday, because apparently the NCAA liked playing on Monday and Tuesday night. But that's it for basketball. It's time for golf. A a tradition unlike any other. The Masters is here. It begins in a couple hours, and there are probably 15 guys who I would say I would bet money on to win it. What, uh, What a field. You have Jordan Spieth coming off a win. His first win in four years, who immediately, you know, even if he hadn't won last week, Jordan Spieth still would be a big-time favorite here for the way he's played this year. And there's just something about Augusta National that the guys who have won before just always seem to find a way. Bernhard Langer is going to be, you know, three shots off the lead on Friday afternoon. Fred Couples is going to have the lead on Saturday. Something stupid like that. And Spieth is, you know, a guy who... With a, with a win, obviously, but with a really strong finish this week, I think he just automatically vaults himself into that category of Mickelson and Woods and guys who just, when they get to Augusta, they're going to play well. Patrick Reed is a guy who I, you know, I'm in a pool where I'm picking two guys and I gave a long look at Patrick Reed. And then we get, you know, Brad Faxon saying what he said about Brooks Kepka and he quote tweets that with the Jordan gif, the Jordan meme. Which one is it? It's a meme. He's not moving. Sorry. We're a meme I've heard it. someone call it that one time, and I laughed. Anyway, uh, Kepka taking it personally. So, really, do we want to bet against and, and motivated Brooks Kepka, Injury or not? I guess we'll find out, but is it going to shock anyone if Brooks Kepka is putting a green jacket on on Sunday? It's not going to shock me. And then, of course, we, we have to talk about Bryson. And... I have had this just feeling, and I'll go on record, which is dangerous because, you know, I can easily just putz around it and say, oh, this guy can win, and this guy can win, and JT can win, and DJ's the defending champion, and all that. I think Bryson is going to win the tournament. And I think that strongly because I feel like the narrative around him, with good reason right now, is... His want and desire to overpower the golf course and the traditionalists and those who really watch the Masters and really love the Masters say that, well, that doesn't matter. You know, you can win the Masters without driving at 350 yards. You have to pick your spots right. I saw a graphic this morning of the last six champions. Where were they in driving distance? 
And three of them were in the top 10. And three of them were like tied 42nd. I think Spieth was tied 42nd and or 44th or something. Tiger was tied 44th. Danny Willett. Reed was, of course, a big-time driver of the ball. DJ, a big-time driver of the ball. And Bryson, of course, the biggest driver of the ball. So when we're talking about the lines he's going to take on the 13th tee and trying to play it in a 14th fairway to give him a better angle. And, you know, I laugh at it sometimes, too. It's, I'm going to try and drive the green on, you know, this hole and that hole. And nine, I can cut it over the trees. Do you know how high you have to hit the ball right away to cut the left trees on number nine? Anyway, his distance is not what gives me confidence that Bryson is going to win. It certainly doesn't hurt the confidence because, obviously, he's... Hits it farther than anybody. That is a statistical fact. So when he can walk out there and and play a pitching wedge when the rest of the field is playing seven iron, yes, that's an advantage for him. But Bryson DeChambeau does not get nearly enough credit for his short game. And it is so damn good. And no one talks about it. Because why would you? Because, you know, mad scientist and coefficient of restitution and everything else and all the work he does to swing as hard as he possibly can and break every physical rule possible. And that's physics, not like an actual rule. Um, I think back to Wingfoot and I think about Matthew Wolf on Sunday and maybe trying to make a little run. And he just, the doors when they were open, they were slammed shut. By DeChambeau. He made so many good chips and so many good putts. And he's won this year. He obviously is going to have as much, if not more, confidence than anyone in the field. He could have won at Sawgrass and give Justin Thomas credit. Another guy who has improved his Masters finish every year he's played. So... I think that if you're looking for a, a reason that Bryson wins, if he does win, it'll be his work around the greens. I, I checked the numbers at Wingfoot, and I want to make sure I read them right because he did not lead the field in uh, strokes gain putting, but he did, or he was second in the field in strokes gained around the green. Only trailing Xander Shoffley, another guy who could win it. That's what makes golf so good right now. There are so many horses. Patrick Cantlay could win it. Heck, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa is already a major champion. So it will never be the same when Tiger Woods is, you know, in a in a normal world is capable of playing and not there. Obviously, the, the accident and the injury, he can't play, of course, but... If he weren't injured or in the accident, he, he probably would be playing. So when you take that into account, it will lose just a little, just a little. And I think that's true. And I know that there will be those who say it's the Masters. It's more important than Tiger Woods. It's more important than Jack Nick. It's the Ma Well, sure, but you're lying if you're not more interested when he's playing in it. And he's not. And that's sad. But, I mean, golf has, you know... Nine or ten thoroughbreds who are ready to break through. John Rahm, the baby was born. His mind is free. I, you know, I reading the picks in my pool, 75% of the 15 people I'm in are taking Rahm. The guy's never won a major. He's a great player. He can win, of course. 
And I'm not going to sit here and try and dissect the reasons why all these guys who can't win, uh, or who haven't won, I should say, couldn't go win now. Because John Rahm could win the tournament easily. He's got more game than 99% of the people on earth. Might be 99 and a decimal. But the one name who will get talked about uh, only because of what it could mean if he wins, and that's the last guy I'll talk about is McElroy. And I saw Jack uh, Nicholas did his interview this morning with with uh, Steve Sands. By the way, does anyone else like take bets on when guys get interviewed by Steve Sands if they're going to call him Steve or Sandsy, or is that just me? Anyway, Jack's doing his interview with Sandsy, and you know, saying that he believes uh, you know Rory obviously is making some changes, but. I feel like something along the lines of he's got a lot of majors left. And I wanted to say, well, Mr. Golden Bear, sir, he hasn't won one in seven years. And he's been chasing this one, obviously, for a bigger reason. Because if Rory McIlroy wins, he completes the career Grand Slam. And if he doesn't, every year he doesn't win is another year where he becomes Phil Mickelson with the U.S. Open. And it gets harder as you get older, obviously. And it gets harder as these younger guys get better and more younger guys come in. Because if you think Scotty Scheffler is not going to work his tail off to try and win some majors in the next five years, he is. I'm not saying he's going to for sure win one, but another guy. Anybody going to be shocked if Scotty Scheffler wins a major soon? Definitely not me. So from McElroy. You know, this under he's as under the radar as Rory McIlroy can possibly be. And, you know, new coach, making changes. Could be the perfect storm. No one talking about him. He goes and puts together a couple good rounds, finds the competitive juice. I'd love to see McIlroy get the career Grand Slam. I don't think it happens. I'll go on record again. In my pool, I picked two people for the majors. I picked Bryson DeChambeau and Jordan Spieth. And that's where I keep going back to. One was my head. One was my heart. I wanted somebody to root for. And it's hard to root for Bryson sometimes. It's getting easier, I feel like. I feel like he's more human lately. I don't know. Maybe it's you know interacting with uh, the various uh, social media outlets and the NFT stuff and all the other stuff. And I- I'm liking him more than I did a couple of years ago. But when it's Sunday, are you really going to root for Bryson DeChambeau if anyone else is in contention? Hey, might find out this Sunday. Somebody puts a green jacket on on Sunday, and hey, maybe it's the first time. The prop bets are wild. You should check those out. I saw plus 500 that someone makes a hole-in-one on Thursday or Friday. There are always holes-in-one at the Masters. Is that the right English? Doesn't make a difference, as we said. English going down the drain. Bryson 1, Spieth 2, that's what we got. It starts, watch it. If you are listening to this and you don't like golf, watch it. Even if it's Sunday afternoon for two hours, enjoy it. It's Masters Weekend, everybody. Great talk. We'll see you out there.